0: Music mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, to Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. I am your host, Professor Jeremy Villner. This is our second episode of 2022. And joining us now, Arn Anderson's favorite enhancement talent, Double B, Bobby Blaze. What's happening, Bobby?
1: Man, I've got a whole lot happening, you know. I got to um, see my coach this week, uh, my trainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yeah, we met up to the Olive Garden, and we had some uh, breadsticks and some meat sauce. Nice. Uh, (laughs) I kid, I kid. I'm doing quite well, man. Um, My eye, my left eye has recovered quite well. Went for a checkup uh, the other day, and uh, pun intended, got the all clear on that one, and uh, go to see the surgeon again this Thursday to have the right eye done. And I'm just hoping it goes as good as the left one has so far. So I was able to actually... Started on Wednesday of this week, but I've been able to see a little bit better, Professor. So I'm doing pretty good, man. I am I'm, I'm uh, have a lot of gratitude.
0: Oh, so. fantastic. Yes, um, sir. While you've only got one eye, does that mean you just walk in circles, or how does that work?
1: <laughs> well, I kind of did. I had a patch on my left eye, and I put my right arm out, and I kind of walked in a circle like Bugsy McGraw would do coming out on interview. Oh, platform. okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of throw it out there. Um, and I think... Shout out, no context, Dusty. I think you saw me with my Ray Charles glasses on.
0: I certainly uh, did.
1: Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Um, I didn't have to wear them but a couple of days. It was very sunny. Um, I would wear them, uh, but uh, just uh, over my glasses. And uh, they, were, they were pretty cool, you know. Yeah. Uh, did served serve their purpose um, for what I needed them for. But, um, yeah, everything...
0: Looking good. That's excellent. Now I got to apologize yeah. for Cowdog. She is actually in a different room, but because I use a condenser mic, any sound that echoes, at all comes through like it's right next to the microphone. So yeah, yeah. so that's going to be kind of a pain in the ass, and I apologize now.
1: I thought she's on your
0: lap. Yeah, it sounds like she is. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
1: how's old Cowdog doing? Besides being back
0: there? Oh, you know, she's a little, a little feisty, and I discovered. Depending on when you give a dog a treat, when you're trying to get them to drop something, they may not pick up drop as the command. They may learn to take TV remotes as hostages. <laughs> so now when she wants something, she, she'll she swipe a TV remote and hold on to it until she gets what she's looking for. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out how to break it. these These um, cattle dogs are a lot smarter than I am used to. <laughs>
1: You might want to go in there and give her a damn remote right now.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I can shut the door. Let me try that, but I'm just afraid she'll start knocking at the door. I'll be right back.
1: <clears throat> well, people, you heard the professor. He's taking care of old cow dog over there. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate y'all wrestling all right. fans out there. Nothing Here quite
0: like nothing quite like recording live, you know?
1: There you go. Yeah. Um, All right. So, um, got a couple of things we'll talk about here towards the uh, middle or end of the prod, uh, podcast. We'll put in there uh, some upcoming dates that I have coming up. Okay. Uh, uh, some shows and stuff. But other than that, I think we have got a great topic this week with some um, some very interesting professional wrestlers. And I'll let you introduce the topic and also preface this episode just a little bit there, until uh, we get to our list of, uh, from our listeners. How's that? Sure.
0: So um, we are going to do top ten British wrestlers. Now, for our purposes, we're treating all the islands out there, including the you know the Irish Republic as well as Northern Ireland. These islands all go together as British islands as far as this list is concerned. Um. So I don't want to get into a geographical debate with anybody. It's just the way we're handling it. And uh, we are segmenting it off from the rest of Europe as well. So we're not going to get into a lot of the overplay where people go from the UK over into the continent itself. So I'm hoping we describe that well enough. And I'm, you know, I, I got that out of my head. Okay. But it seems to me like I'm stumbling over my own words. <laughs> Um Bobby, you got some notes coming in here.
1: Yeah.
0: And okay. I'm I want to read the part of this one so we can have you describe what you're thinking here. This okay. is not a top ten British WWE wrestlers of all time list. Go create your own. There's already a couple of them out there. Uh they're six years old. Update one if you have a YouTube channel. That's
1: correct. Um, That's correct.
0: um
1: because what I've discovered, as you know, um when you go Google something sometimes, it always goes to like bleach report w w e and this and that the same thing happened on youtube now we're gonna give out some links or at least the names of the channels I looked at uh but I, the first couple pops up, and it's uh these you know ten great British wrestlers of the w w e you mm-hmm. know and um they had their list and of course uh, they was modern day uh but then our last uh I'm going to say 16 years because both the list or both the channels had it listed as six years ago. But again, it was just uh, wrestlers that were from over in the UK that were uh, nothing against any of them. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's just listening to the ones that made it to the WWE. And so I thought, you know, we're not going to be doing that. We're trying to actually do, you know, top 10 British wrestlers. Uh, with that said, we got a couple of lists from our listeners I'm gonna do the first one. I'll let you do the second one, and I'll do the third one if you don't care. How's that? Um, so that's kind of what, what I want to preface it with. That you may not, um, if you're a big wrestling fan, you will probably know all these people we're gonna mention. If you're a WWE current product fan, you may say, "Why this guy on there? Why that guy on there?" It's because as we get through our program, you understand why. I just now made that kind of blanket statement, mm-hmm. um, and I encourage someone if you have a YouTube channel out there update it man um kind of makes me wish text was around so he could do ours um because i think we've got a fantastic top 10 uh, jeremy i really do oh yeah so um so i had three uh direct messages um and i'm not sure what went to the bell to bell but uh i had one from nick boggs and i've known nick a long time and he's a he's a listener of ours and he's also a, been a wrestling fan since i've known him Uh, Many, many years ago. He's at Nick Boggs 10. And I just want to tell him, uh, Nick, thanks for uh, listening. Um, Sorry, but I doubt any of your guys are going to make the list. He's got Will Ospreay, Pac, Drew McIntyre, Pete Dunn, Wade Barrett, and, of course, the British Bulldogs. And um, so that's a pretty good list. I respect it. Um, We will be bringing up the British Bulldogs later on, if I'm not mistaken, Professor. Mm -hmm. But uh, what do you think about that list? Pretty good list, right? That's
0: a good list. Um, I think Drew McIntyre, I remember him more from a few years ago when they were trying to push him. And he still looked like a young kid. I've seen pictures of him recently, but I haven't watched a match. He looks like a badass nowadays, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Osprey, yeah, guy's... It's like watching a bird in the rain. The guy is fucking incredible. Pac, also a fucking badass. Pete Dunn, I'm not familiar with him. Wade Barrett, I like him better as a um, a color guy than I do, I do a, a, a ring guy. But uh, And Bulldogs, like you said, we'll get around to them. So,
1: All right. I think you know this next person that yep. wrote in.
0: Yep. Casey King, and he comes in with this list. Dave Taylor, which is a great choice. Nick Aldis, yeah. Nigel McGinnis, the Bulldogs. Huh, we got a trend going here. Yeah. Johnny Saint and Robbie Brookside. Um, pff, great list. Nick like Aldis, it. if I'm not mistaken, like 99% of Nick Aldis's career was here in the States, though.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I'll tell you this. We're going to bring up a couple of these guys later on. The Bulldogs, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, Dave Taylor, um, man, that guy, I had the pleasure of working with him in a ring. And he's a very, very talented man. Um, so that's a good choice. Nigel McGinnis, you know, um, I never got to work with him, but I, I've seen him in person, several shows and, um, man, he can just go. He could go. Um, uh, shoot. Chad Collier, man, who I went to Japan with and I toured England with as well. Um, man, he, uh, him and Nigel, I saw them t- tear down some matches. They was getting ready for WWE tryout matches back in the day. Um, and it was on several house shows that I was on, not for WWE, but for, uh, other companies that, that put us out there. Uh, and, man, they, he, Nigel's talents as could be. And we'll bring up Robbie Brookside and Johnny Sank in just a few minutes, too, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, any any comments on any of those people before I move on?
0: Um, Yeah, Nick Aldis, I mean, obviously you know, a former NWA world champion at this point, but uh, a guy who was a great NWA world champion while well, he was. Um, if I'm wrong about his career, maybe he could have been on this list. Right. A couple of these names that we're going to come up with again, again, Dave Taylor was a great wrestler, but you've already come, No, I mean, I, I think I've, I've kind of got everything out there about that one.
1: Okay. Okay. I think I'm gonna get this guy's name, right? It's Nigel Cody. Okay. Mm-hmm. He's at Irish red 11. Um, I couldn't pronounce where he was from. He's from across the pond. Mm-hmm. Appreciate you writing in. Nigel, hope I got that right. He has Sidnied, Sid Cooper, Robbie Brookside, Dave Fit Finley, Mark Rollerball Rocco. So um, I think a couple of those names may come up um, on our list. We'll see. But again, we see a Robbie Brookside on there. Um, first mention of Fit Finley. Um, I've heard Sidnied Sid Cooper's name while I was while I was there. I I was doing some research, and I did find some good channels, and I'll make mention of those as we get on through the program. Um, Maybe you could have made our top ten. I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. So what do you think about it, Professor?
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, these are names that I am somewhat familiar with. Like, I've heard them. Brookside, of course, keeps coming up. Uh, Fit Finley. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. yeah, Did you ever wrestle Fit Finley?
1: Yes. Yes, i I wrestled him at WCW. Well, we'll talk about that in a bit then, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure.
0: No, um, these are all good lists. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm probably not as familiar with European and British wrestling as I should be. Um, I just kind of know the high spots and I remember the episode of, are you being served where Mr. Humphreys had to wrestle a guy? Um, (laughs) uh, that was pretty funny. If you didn't watch the show, (laughs) Mr. Humphreys was a flamboyantly, possibly gay character who had to then take on a real professional wrestler. It was pretty good. Um, so yeah, those are all good lists, uh, Bobby. What do you got to say about any of this? Or are you ready to move on to your next next segment uh, I here? I appreciate
1: you guys. Uh, if I missed anyone else that sent us a list in, uh, double check it, and uh, we asked for these lists and sent it to the bell to Bell also uh, on Twitter or to Jeremy at the Geek Cast. But those were sent to me directly, and I appreciate them very much. Uh, yeah, I was just gonna make a mention. Um, I was like I said, I was on tour over in England. I was over there and around. Um, August and September of 2000. Um, and I just want to make mention of Paige. She's a phenomenal, talented person. She made her debut, you know, at um, uh, WrestleMania and, and won. And, uh, you know, her career cut a little bit short due to an injury. But I got to see her wrestle in, um, at a show, at a house show. Um, and uh, she, two out of three fall match with uh, Natalia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, it was really, really good. Uh, but when I was in England, she'd only been about eight years old. And um, I did meet her mom, uh, Sweet Sierra. Sarah, Saraya. Uh, she was managing one of the sons at the time at a show we did in Southampton. And so, uh, you know, there's a little girl there that had to be on a page. And there was two boys. And again, I don't know which one was being managed by the mom. But um, Ricky Knight, I had already met him a few days earlier over on the Isle of Wight. And that's Paige's dad. And on the Isle of Wight, you have to take the ferry over. And then, after the show, you have to wait and hopefully not go over uh, a time limit because you'll miss the last ferry back to the to Southampton Docks there well anyway, um, you know I sat down had a couple of years with Ricky Knight and uh, maybe even a shot a jack or two but um, you know just uh, not it was really nice to be four days you know they was doing their own thing, and the promoter I was with you know, would bring different people in um, i I'd, I'd work for Scott Conway and then I uh, did a couple nights with Brian Dixon. Um, over there and uh some sometimes we mixed crews and so i got to meet them and again just saying um it was really cool to see someone that uh put the work in it and and become a success uh with their family business like they did and you know had a movie made up and all that it's just just kind of cool that you had that connection that you know hey um just sitting at a wrestling event one day and next you know here fast forward probably what was that three years ago. So fast forward to say 18, 20 years and their family's got a movie made about him, you know, that's, that's yeah. pretty cool. Um, so I just wanted to mention that, man, because um, I really enjoyed my tour over there. I'm going to talk a bit more about it, but uh, uh, it was a good time, man. It really was a different time in my life, of course. Of course. Uh, I just want to tell you if you're looking for a real quick history of British wrestling, uh, check out our friend Dave from Dave Knows Wrestling. Uh, he's on YouTube. He's got an excellent seven-minute video. Watch it. Um, man, it's, it's, really, um, it's really good. He gets a lot in in seven minutes. He talks about wrestling, uh, what was going on prior to World War I, what took place between, uh, during the 30s, roughly, before World War Two what came out of the war, Um, and he condensed it all down in seven minutes and also talked about the rules, which we're going to be mentioning in just a few minutes, Um, and just some different things like that, to give uh, Dave Knows Wrestling a look, Um, and it's uh, it's the history of professional wrestling on air. Um, World of Sport Wrestling, there's a channel called UK Wrestling, the 1970s and 80s, and it has a lot of World of Sport on there. I think there's a 36 videos on there, and many of the guys are in our top 10. Um, and a lot of these guys are uh, – obviously, they're younger because many, many years ago. But um, I'm talking about even earlier in their career before they were, like, getting a big push on the world of sports and stuff. And you can see them develop if you watch just a few of these matches. Really, really good, like so-and-so trained so-and-so. And then you realize this kid's just 18 at this point, And then, you know, it, it's um, – you see them develop, it's really good, especially if you if you like wrestling or you love wrestling like I do. I got caught up in it um, and, and went down a rabbit hole, you know, just like, okay, let here's what I want to watch. And someone, one of my students, um, we'll mention later on, but had mentioned something, and um, I said, yeah, I'll check it out for you. And uh, uh, checked it out, and it was pretty cool. And so we kind of, we had some ideas what we were going to do in the back of our head. And I thought, well, this would this be a great week to do the British wrestling because I was already, you know, checking in on a couple of the uh, guys that made our top ten. Um, any, anything there, Jeremy, you got to uh, um, add to that?
0: No, because I think we're going we're to gonna kind of get into something else here. I just kind of, I, I guess, you know, World of Sport was a TV show that ran in the UK for like 20 or 25 years. Mm. It was five hours long. And... They would put uh, also, you know, there'd be cricket, there would be, you know, uh, soccer, everything would be on there, including pro wrestling, which was Mm -hmm. always presented in the UK as a valid sport. And as we'll get into here in a minute, they had some rules (laughs) that um, might even have made it seem more sporting in a way. But but we'll kind of get into that here in a minute because I have questions because I don't know them all that well. But before we do that, Bobby, why don't you sell a couple books?
1: All right. Yes, <clears throat> my first book, "Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boots Will Travel." If you will go to tinyurl.com/blazebook1, it'll take you directly to the Amazon Amazon link where you can purchase that book. Um, it's gotten, it has gotten over hundred and ten reviews and ratings, um, averaging out to about a four point five rating. Um, I'm very pleased with that. The um, professor again has given you a link directly to the Amazon link, and that is slash blazebook1. And I'll take you to Pin Me, Pay Me, Have Boostful Travel. My second book, I kicked out on two. The Educational Wrestler, I kicked out on two. You can go to tinyurl. Damn, I'm wanting to get a drink of water, Jeremy. Sorry.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah, go right blazebook2. If you go to that, that'll take you to. I kicked out on two. The educational wrestler, um, or I kicked out on. Two. <laughs> I, I, I kick, I'm sorry, man. I, I don't know if I want to cough, spit, or get a drink of water. I think <laughs> I'll do all three. But I know if you're listening through headphones, you can probably hear it. Yeah. Anyway, go to Amazon. Use one of the tiny rail links, either Blaze Book One or Blaze Book Two purchase a book, we do get a small kickback from that, and we appreciate it very, very much. Um, and I appreciate your views uh, on the books. Um, that's the greatest way you can thank an author is to write a brief um, a review, a book review, and I know I appreciate it I've gotten on both books. Uh, and also, Jeremy, if you want to let them know what they can do to maybe um, leave a review on our podcast, we'd appreciate that as well.
0: Well, the easiest way would be to go to iTunes and leave one there. Or, you know, I'm sorry, not iTunes anymore. Uh, yeah. Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts do that. Or you could go to our website at www.belltobellblaze.com. You can leave a review right there. You can leave us a voicemail right there. Um, and that would probably be the quickest way because I think if you do it, On Apple, it actually shares to everybody else and becomes accessible from there. So that's probably actually the best way.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. We appreciate that very much. All right, back to the program. You said you had a couple questions here.
0: Yeah, so um, the only time I've really been exposed to the rounds system was that brief syndicated show called AWF here in the States. that had everybody that was retirement age basically was in it. Um, Bobby, what what was the breakdown? How did the round system work?
1: <clears throat> okay. Well, I was first familiar with this uh, when I went to South Africa. I got smarted up to it real quick. Uh, basically, it was like boxing. Um, I was in the semi-main event. My my matches were two out of three falls with each, ma- uh, each round lasting three minutes, okay? Mm-hmm. And Ron Starr was working one of the uh, – uh, Tiger Jet sing, and that was the main event. And uh, the main event was five rounds of five-minute matches. Now, we did a tag team, a couple of tag teams over there as main event. And, again, those rounds were five minutes, of, uh, five rounds of five minutes. Um, so, in England, pretty much um, they're made up of six three-minute rounds, okay? So, um, you got to wrestle for three minutes, and then there was a 20-second break, and you had six of those. And it was one, paw, one pinfall, a submission, or a countout. The round ends and it matches over when one wrestler gets two of the three falls. Okay, I think that's that's pretty self-explanatory on that. Now, also, you can have, you know, again, um, three out of five or five out of seven, depending on, you know, what kind of contest or how long they, they are promoting the match as to further up the card. The 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 rounds. So what you do is it's, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. I got to do this in England, um, and so I was a little bit familiar with it from having been in South Africa. And and most of my matches there were two out of three falls, and I had had three minutes. Okay, to to get my stuff in. And in a way, you know, I might knowing we're going six rounds, but I might be able to. You know, we're only going to do maybe. Uh, or two out of three falls, you know, the first round I may put the baby face over and make him look good, and I've got three minutes to do that in. Mm-hmm. Then you get a 20-second break, and, of course, I might be pissed off because he either got a pin fall or um, more likely not a submission, okay, at that point. That would be more at the uh, uh, third round usually, or a count out. So maybe I've got a pin fall or a count out because I was getting pissed off and tired of it as, as a heel, so he wins the first one within the second one, of course, in order to be out to, cause it's no use to, to, to have two out of three falls. If, if just going to put me up, put him over clean in two rounds. Okay. Um, you, you can get interesting matches out of that, but of course you're trying to work towards that third uh, round when it's tied one to one. So the second round, I'm going to get my stuff in and get over on him and, and maybe get, um, uh, cheat a little bit, you know, heal out a little bit, if you will. And, um, once I do that, I get me a fall in, and now it's one to one, so now we've got three minutes to determine who's going to win this contest and again, it may be a five minute you know might' been three five minute rounds, which um, i'm pretty sure that's what I was doing when I was there um, and I've wrestled a couple of these guys on our list um, I'll mention that again later on, but anyway that's that's kind of how it works um, and in that third round um what I did when I was in England, there was a really talented guy named James Mason, and uh, he worked under a full-body outfit and uh, tremendous talent. And uh, I, I'd come out, and I'd usually beat him, kind of contradicting myself here, maybe two out of three falls rather quickly, okay? <clears throat> uh, basically, enhancement talent. Also, establishing that we got this big American over here, but he's going to be wrestling in the main event. And so I would make, you know, a good match. Boom, 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 boom. Beat them two out of three falls or, you know, two falls in a row even. And uh, maybe, again, six minutes. So you got a good six-minute opening match. I established myself as, you know, the, the heel, the, the evil American, you know. And then, of course, I'm going to wrestle someone like Robbie Brookside in the main event or whoever they brought in for that show, okay? Again, I'll get into that more when I talk about Robbie later on. But anyway, so that's kind of the way, and then you'd go to the main event. Again, maybe those maybe those uh, were three- or five-minute- or six-minute rounds, you know. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the layout of it. So I didn't what duck did, it up too much. Yeah, what did, what did
0: you think of wrestling in that system? I mean, what are the pluses mm-hmm. or minuses, of just real quick, that you noticed compared to a single fall
1: match? Um, for me, uh, you know, you get going and then you have to bring it down because you're, you got, so you just got pinned one, two, three, that first one, you got 20 seconds. It, it just, uh it's, to me, it was kind of a, uh, kind of a mind fuck because you're just now getting going, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm really getting this guy over, I'm getting him over, and all of a sudden you got to take the pin, you know. yeah uh, Whereas here, you know, you're getting him over, getting him over, and uh, instead of taking a pin, you continue to get him over just a little bit more before you cut him off, you know. And then you don't have it twenty seconds because when you do cut them off after three five minutes, you start getting your heat in. You know, boom a boom, 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 and then all of a sudden over there, you know, you're getting heat in, and then he's either going to uh, you're going to throw him out to be a count out, or you're going to pin him, uh, or possibly make him submit that second round. And um, you know, uh, which he's a baby face, he's probably not. Just saying, but you got to slow it back down again, and yeah. you start that build up for the third. So um, it's different, but it's adaptable. Um, and I think it does, uh, lend to, uh, some credibility, uh, to kind of keep it, you know, in a tradition that they have established it to be in that that's what the people, it's all about how you educate your fans. You know, not a bunch of people are yelling, wrestling, you know what I'm saying? They're, mm-hmm. they're, seeing wrestling, you know? So, and if you watch, uh, Dave knows wrestling YouTube, he brings up the, uh, the, uh, Admiral Lord Montevon's rules that was set for professional wrestling That's used in British wrestling. Um, the first Baron Montalbans, uh, he was ordered, he ordered a set of rules that were written up for professional wrestling in the British Isles. And I think what I understood when Dave was saying this, um, if you, um, some they, they got into, there was a time period where they got into weapons and gimmickry too much. And people were like, ah, this is, you know, I don't know what the wording would be on that. Like, it's sketchy, you know yeah and um so they started this rules and from my understanding it they had to have an established wrestler or two on the card so no one could go in and say oh this is baloney or this is you know crap or it's just guys hitting each other's weapons and there's no wrestling when you're advertising wrestling so um, anyway that way the promoters could advertise it as modern freestyle wrestling so they had actually legitimate wrestling on the on the program so those rules brought that back um that um, um that when the fans were going to see a match they were going to see uh professional wrestling um by law authorized by the off home office and the metropolitan police um you know to to um and also they did weight divisions as well there's seven weight divisions so it just kind of cleaned things up um let's see you know uh there's legal techniques they can use um you know such as half nelson's quarter nelson's uh full nelson you know um different things like that a wrestler's bridge scissors flying bears and things like that um, a fall could be awarded by a pinfall submission a knockout or a disqualification so you know they just have rules man that they they follow and uh you don't see it a lot even here in the united states you know what are the rules anymore you know what i'm saying rules yeah. are there for a reason and when you have the rules um especially if the guys follow the rules and a referee's doing his job um it it makes for a better show you know so i ho- hope i've cleared it up for any questions i <laughs> had about the rules but um but they're there for a reason uh pretty much you know there's a book that was going around uh, a sheet of paper or something on twitter and i'm sure facebook and well had um I think it's 1974 NWA Handbook of Rules about tag teams and about singles matches. You know, there so there's rule books out there. And if you follow those to me as a wrestling fan, again, you put the referee in a position that, you know, he is officiating a match between two gentlemen, okay, or two females, whatever the case may be, and that they're gonna have a legitimate competition and you're gonna abide by these rules. And at some point, someone gets out wrestled. And a heel turn happens, and they break one of these rules, and that's how you establish your good guy, your bad guy, and you build up and your finishes. What can, you know, there one time, um, I think NWA, you know, you, you could throw someone over the top rope or couldn't follow someone over the top rope. And in WWE, you could throw someone over the top rope, you know, whatever you was watching at the time. Uh, the pile driver being outlawed maybe the AWA. And that's the reason that, you know, oh, well, someone done it, man. It really meant something because they broke the rules, possibly breaking someone's neck, you know. Um, so that's just kind of my rant on the rules. But, yeah, that's, that's kind of what it is, man. Um, I think rules are there for a purpose, and if you follow them, Professional wrestling, I think it makes for a much better in ring product.
0: Well, if, if you don't have rules or a set of rules and somebody to enforce them, um, mm. how do you have a rule breaker? Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: You know, how, how do you set up a story with any structure or consistency or recognizability without rules? Um, yeah. now to be fair, I remember like when Bill Watts would put uh, in WCW when he put in the no over the top rope and no off the top rope stuff. It slowed the matches down quite a bit compared to what we've gotten used to. But, you know, I, I get why he did it, so when somebody did it, it would matter.
1: That's my that's what I liked it. Even though yeah. I might slow it down just a bit, then you, you see the referee turn his back and then someone flying over the top rope, or someone jumping off the top rope and delivering a you know, devastating move. That move really meant something, or it really meant something to the outcome of that match. Someone got thrown over that top rope, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> anyway, I hope that clears that up. So, now we'll get to the meat of our podcast, folks. This is the top ten British wrestlers. Um, we're going to start with number ten, and that is Big Daddy. Jeremy. You ever heard of Big Daddy?
0: I'll tell you what. He is probably the most famous name I have heard from British professional wrestling. And by that, I mean, anytime I've talked to somebody in the UK who grew up on British wrestling rather than American wrestling, they always talk about Big Daddy.
1: Yeah. Always. Big Daddy. Shirley Crabtree was his name. I I put him here, maybe not for his skills, but for his gimmick. But he was uh, 6'6", 375 pounds. Six, a world breaking 64 inch chest at one time. Uh, he worked for the Joint Promotions and the original British Wrestling Federation. He initially appeared on TV as a heel. He teamed with Giant Haystacks. After he split Haystacks, he became a fan favorite and a top star of the Joint Promotions in the 70s and 80s. And um, I think his brother was one of the promoters, if I'm not mistaken or owned a company, I'm not sure. But nonetheless, he got a huge push over there. Big old, big, big man. Kind of mind you of a big, bigger, taller, dusty a little bit, if Mm -hmm. you ask me. But um, I had the uh, privilege of um, uh, having a day off when I was over there in England. And um, Robbie Brookside had a couple of VHS tapes, and um, I wasn't going to be the travel lodge that day. Robbie was going to a town, I wasn't for some reason anyway. He gave me a couple of VHS tapes, and uh, one of them was nothing but about two hours of Big Daddy wrestling. And um, I sat in the promoter's apartment there, man, and just um, I watched about you know maybe an hour and a half of it. Two hour came, how long the you know, video was, but nonetheless, i like holy shit, this guy's over, you know, because I kept uh-huh. hearing guys tell me you got to see Big Daddy, you got to see Big Daddy, and um, and I did, and I enjoyed it. And there's a lot of his matches out there on YouTube. I'll say that. And you can see just how over the guy is. And I guess uh, him and John Haystacks, man, they must have had some uh, some good matches together and then against each other. But I can see where he became a fan favorite, man, when you watch it. He's just a big, jolly guy, man, that uh, kind of cracked me up, but in a good way, you know. Yeah. So I, I got him at number 10, what we came up with, so.
0: Um, yeah, I have to figure if you grow up with a name like Shirley Crabtree, you have to have a good sense of humor and you have to be able to kick somebody's ass when push
1: comes to shove. It's kind of like a boy named Sue. Isn't exactly. It? Exactly. <laughs> oh man. I was down by the crab tree. The first time she showed it to me, <laughs> it was Harry and black. She caught her a crack, but it looked like a manhole to me. Now, stay away from Matt crabtree boy
0: <laughs> oh man
1: <laughs> see there's a fight right there <laughs> <laughs> boy. Oh
0: you ain't just whistling dixie either <laughs> oh okay let's go on to, to number nine you're gonna have to help go me ahead. out with some of these guys because i i don't okay. know them real well okay. um i will start the list here i'll i'll read the name and then you tell me what you know about them okay Okay. Marty Jones, who I thought was one of the original members of the Monkees, but it turns out I'm wrong. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, <laughs> but this is the English professional wrestler. <laughs> uh, he worked in joint promotions and all-star wrestling throughout the 80s and 90s. Um, he was a prominent holder of the um, Montevans World mid-heavyweight title. Like I said, they had seven-weight division there. Mm-hmm. But he was also for tr- responsible for training someone that would come up with this list Uh, William Regal. So I thought that's pretty cool, man. I heard his name, and if I'm not mistaken, um, when I went to London, um, I met Marty and several other people there. Uh, Stephen Wright was there, um, and I'm pretty sure Marty Jones, one of the guys, he had a young boy there. He had been training at the time. Uh, But he made his wrestling debut um, at the age of 18. You'll notice a lot of these guys in England start really young. Yeah. but. In 1972, um, he won his first singles match. Uh, in 1976, when he defeated Rollerball, Mark Rocco, a name we're going to hear a little bit later on, a British lightweight heavyweight champion. Um, so the uh, main thing I know about him is he's had some really, really good matches I've seen on TV. And I knew that the boys, um, anytime I went around the English uh, guys, they always mentioned and put over Marty Jones, man, what a, you know, talented guy he was so um, he held a British Commonwealth Tag Team title with a young Steve Wright in the late 70s And I, Steve Wright when I mentioned that name was for a reason that's um, uh, the comedian Wonder right? Kid oh. uh, the, the Wonder Kid from WCW um, uh, what's his name I, Alex Wright it was his son the one I kicked out of the fucking German suplex on
0: wait a minute they're, they're pushing off a German as a British wrestler
1: but well, no, 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 uh, the wonder kid, Alex mm-hmm. Wright from Germany. Yes. No, Stephen Wright was a German wrestler. Okay. But anyway, that's, uh, his dad was over there and, um, yeah, he was, he was, there. I think it was him and Marty Jones. Several other people came to a show we did in London. Um, of course I didn't tell him, Hey, I kicked out your son finish, but, um, <laughs> uh, I'll get that story later. I'll get that story later on. And it's not to be compared to. <laughs> Since we're talking Marty Jones up here, it's not the country singer either, Jeremy. And Stephen Wright, Steve Wright is not the comedian from Boston. So just so you know. Uh, okay. Okay. okay For, so, for tax anyway. purposes, yeah. <laughs> okay, there you go. So number nine is Marty Jones.
0: Marty Let's Jones. number
1: eight. I'll let you start with number eight, then I'll tell you a little bit about
0: uh, All right. this
1: gentlemen. We already plugged our website, so.
0: Yeah. Uh, number eight is Dave Fit Finley. Who, uh, a tough son of a bitch, but you worked with him, so tell us how tough he was.
1: (laughs) Oh, man, he's so tough, I'm telling you. Um, One of the most legit guys I've been in the ring with. Um, I had no problem with him outside the ring, nor inside the ring, because I had respect for him. And I think he had seen me enough to know that I could work and had enough respect for me. And we had um, a couple matches. We did them on the worldwide the universal tapings down there in Florida and, um, you know, you just get in a ring with him and work. That's all you do. Didn't have to call a whole lot, man. He's just one tough son of a gun. And, um, I knew how good he was. I don't think we caught anything except for the finish. And, um, uh, when he used to that that merit and give you a kick to the back, you better be ready to tighten your back because man, he would lay it in there. I had no problem with it. Cause I knew the style just saying, He'd kick the shit out if you wasn't ready for it, man. Um, but I always respected the guy a whole lot, man, a whole lot. And I was honored to work with uh, Fit Family. Going back and watching these matches, I mean, this guy, he broke in, you know, again, a teenager. Um, I, the first match with his father's promotion in Glenn in 1974. We filled in for a wrestler who had no-showed. Um Well, I was going to tell you, he's from Welsh. That was the, no, was he from, where is he from? He's from Ireland, right? Is that what it said? Northern Ireland? Yeah, from Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland, okay, yeah. Uh, Of course, we know him now as a trainer, producer, um, you know, signed to WWE to produce. Um, He was in WCW from Fit Finley from 95 to 2000. That's when I worked with him. Um, I guess he's been at WWF or E for over 20 years now. I Think both his sons are wrestling now, if I'm not mistaken. Too one of them is named Dave Finley, and I can't think of the other one's name. Um, but yeah, man. Um, he, if you watch some of those tapes on here, I, I, I didn't know who this was, I had an idea who it was. Uh, his, his then wife, Princess Paula Valdez, became his manager. She wears this Indian, like Native American, but I guess it's native England. I don't know what she's supposed to be. She's an Indian. Um, and she managed them on all those matches on at uh, World of Sport. Uh, and you watch his matches there, and you can see how vicious he is. And um, I, uh, I had one of my friends from Australia was on tour with him over there in Germany uh, one winter. And uh, he was telling me how tough he was, too. And, I, of course, this is before he went to uh, WCW. So I was familiar with his name. Uh, the thing I heard about Dave Finley, and, and I believe it to this day, uh, I heard that he never once... Well, here he had this batch back in 1974. Um, let's see. said it wrestled throughout Northern England and Republic of Ireland for the next four years before moving to England in 1978. I heard that he never, ever once caught a promoter looking for work. That Dave Finley was such a talented person, any time that he wanted a booking, people were always calling him and giving him dates, and he would take wow. bookings yeah i heard he never when i and i've heard it from several people that man you know he when when maybe something wasn't going right in england he got a call from germany you know got a call to japan uh he just took his bookings like an independent contractor but he never once had to go out and say can you book me in next month or on this show or on this tour um i found that pretty amazing and i do believe it's true uh, of course i'm a fucking mark what can i say
0: no <clears throat> well, you know i mean <laughs> and if it if it's not true it's a good story so I, i'm not yeah gonna, yeah know, i'm not going to take All any points right. away um so. so one of the things that i believe that you and i have talked about before is that um a lot of these british wrestlers when they lay into you they lay into you that that uh you know european uppercut and their forearm shots they're stiff oh yeah is that a trademark of british training and what do you what do you uh attribute that to do you think
1: I contributed to them keeping it real, Um, the British training system, uh, getting them young boys in there and and actually having some wrestling uh, ability, uh, kind of a smarten up jack, you know. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're not going to be throwing these phony punches and hitting you behind the hair on the chin or uh, glazing you. We're going to fucking – I'm going to give you an uppercut, and you're going to take it like a man. I'm going to give you a form, and you're going to take it like a man. And I'm going to hit you hard, as someone on this list has said, uh, Regal has said it many times. I'm going to hit you hard, but I'm going to hit you in a place that's safe. I'm not going to be hitting you in the face. I'm going to be hitting you across the back, you know, and, and across the chest in the safe places, you know, but I'm going to lay it in there. And that, that, I like that. That's the way it should be. Um, obviously, you could take your form. You're trusting your body with that opponent. They could take that forearm smash and bring it right across the bridge of someone's nose and easily splatter mm-hmm. their brains. You know, bust their nose and bust their eye sockets and what have you. But when you when you do it the right way, and you turn that person's head and you lay in that form or you lay in that European uppercut, uh, you have no choice but to sell it. Uh, it'll rock you, but it also just uh, just enough to keep your bearings. You're like, oh, okay, I see how it is. You know. And they do it aggressively and they don't take, um, liberty with them. You know, they <laughs> mm-hmm. don't, they, they, they realize that you're feeding them and that they've got to come back. Um, and I respect that too, because when you lay it in on them, they appreciate it that much more. They say, oh, this guy gets it, you know, um, and that's the way it should be. This two, two gentlemen that's having a professional wrestling match and it's not fucking ballet, you know, uh, you're not in grade school anymore. You're a grown ass man. And I'm going to rock you, but I'm going to respect you, not punch you in the face or kick you in the nuts. I'm going to lay it in somewhere, you know, that you got some meat on your body. And I'm going to lay it in safe, but I'm going to lay it in hard.
0: Yeah. So. That's, uh, I've always found that interesting. I'm sure i got another question or two that will come up about the English or the British style okay. here in a bit. Uh, number seven. This is a guy I actually meant to look up a few times on my own. And this is uh, Mark Rollerball Rocco. Yeah. What do we know about him,
1: man? I tell you, I heard his name and heard his name um, all over the place. Not just when I was in England, but um, yeah, he—he's one of them guys again. Broke in early. Uh, He worked for his joint promotions and all-star wrestling. Uh, He was a second. um, uh, He was the original Black Tiger in New Japan, and I knew that, and I'd forgotten it. Um, Be worth from New Japan in the 70s and 80s. Now, you think about this, but he was a fourth-generation wrestler, uh, the son of wrestler Jim Hussey, and a father of boxer, you know, Rocco Hussey. But I'm going to tell you what, think about this. In the 70s and 80s, he's going to New Japan, okay, as mm-hmm. Black Tiger. Um, he appeared regularly on World of Sport, uh, refuted with many of the top lightweight wrestlers, including Marty Jones and the Dynamite Kid. Kendo Nagasaki, uh, someone you might know right here, billed in the U.K. as Sammy Lee. Who might that be, Jeremy?
0: Sammy Lee?
1: Sammy Lee. I don't know. Tora Sayama. Oh, okay. Yeah. He was Sammy Lee over there huh. in England. And uh, that's why when he went to Japan, they feuded under both masks. Siyama, Sama- as you know, Tiger Mask, yeah. and Rocco, under his nemesis, the Black Tiger. So, I think uh, you're doing yourself a discredit if you're a wrestling fan and you don't go look up uh, Mark Rollerball Rocco and watch some of his matches uh, because a guy can go. And you think about that. He had to be able to go if he's working with uh, uh, Tiger Mask.
0: Yeah, absolutely. um, Yeah. I'll be darned. I didn't know. Yeah, I wouldn't have figured he'd wrestled under such a generic name in the UK. Yeah. Um, you know, so this guy, um, Mark Rocco, I kept coming across this name for the last two years. And I keep like writing it down <laughs> as a note, like, hey, go check this yeah. guy out. Go check this guy out. Yeah. Um, one of the things. So, yeah, I mean, you're a Malenko guy, so you're, you're going to understand what I'm saying here. I like mat wrestling. I like technical wrestling. I like joint locks. I, that's why I love to watch uh, Dean Malenko wrestle, you know. Right. And when you watch British wrestling, it seems to be a lot more focused on that stuff. Like they get a guy down on an armbar, they start tweaking their fingers and things, you know, to yes. apply further wrist pressure and blah, blah, yes. blah. Um, you worked in London. Did you did you see anything over there that would explain why that was more over than the garbage we got over? And when I say garbage, I mean just being punch and kick and fucking drop kicks, blah, blah, blah is there is there a cultural difference you think that applied to that or is it just that's what they had so that's what they liked?
1: I think it's because that's what they had and that's what they liked. I also think um, and if you again, this is just uh, uh, my opinion, but I think, even on that short video with uh, Dave Knows wrestling, think about this. after World War 2 they're a that country. You know the devastation that took place that country. they've seen reality and they had to rebuild they had to rebuild you know so i think they're used to being able to go down to a pub and seeing two guys brawl for real you know um fighters if you will and um so if they go to the matches they don't want to see something phony they don't want to see the weapons they want to see two men in combat and when it says wrestling I think they appreciate the value that it says wrestling, and they go the bit, the billboard says wrestling. And when they go in, they see it. Um, I looked up um, one of the gentleness lists here, um, and I got like I got like three good arm things off of it, and I showed it to um, uh, Psych Ward, one of the other trainers at the FTC Art of Grappling Camp, and he was he was doing it by Thursday. Uh, the Show Pony has taken a little twist off of a. Uh, um, an arm wrench uh, that she's added something to it due to her flexibility. So we took took some of the lessons that I picked up while I was re re-lo- looking through this list uh, uh, and watching some of the matches. And I just said, here's some here's some suggestions, guys. And um, I talked them through it and showed them. And I swear to you, um, just the, just a the little tweaks made it a big difference, Jeremy, in um, how an arm bar looked. Uh, we noticed. Uh, they, a couple guys did an arm bar in front of the person instead of out to the side, mm-hmm. how much more you could do workwise on that um, again, um, I have to say, due to the grappling school uh, someone brought it to my attention, and uh, uh it was um, they, they asked me about Johnny Saint, and I kept looking at this, and I was like, "Oh man, let me see how he does this, and he actually has a little seminar on on tv on the youtube channel there uh and i can't remember it might have been there to uh, just type his name and you'll find it but anyway he worked the arm bar from the front and he was able to do something really fancy with the arm the, the way he wrenched it and and turned it around like you said interlocking those fingers and things that made it really hard if you try to do that from the side and it's really impressive because you're like oh you being a fan of that style like just now said i think you really appreciate just how someone uh, you know, how you have someone, a standing side arm bar, when they switch it around to the front and they're face to face and they've got them in an arm bar, the possibilities are endless, how you can do, um, again, it, it, I, I learned a lot just in the last couple of weeks by, by watching some of these videos myself, you know, and again, took it back to our grappling and said, Hey, here, here's how you do it. <laughs> I've never done it, but here's how you do it because I, I know how things work, you know, and I noticed, oh, here's what's going on. You're not getting it because you're on the side. Stand in front of them. Now watch this. Drop down. Do this. And it was like I was, I was, I was a student of the game for the last uh-huh. two weeks myself. And I pride myself on that. Because, like I told the students, it's like Carl Gott said, and I heard him say it. If you're in a wrestling business, the day you stop learning is the day you die. And he said, you might as well be. When you stop learning, you are the bull in the ring. Don't be the bull in the ring. Always learn. And so, you know, you know how that goes. Who the fuck wants to be the bull in the ring? I don't think they have bullfighting much anymore, but um, nonetheless, you don't want to be the fucking one dying, right? You Typically, want to be no. Learning. Yeah. yeah. You know, learning, learning, learning. So, uh, with that, we had some good classes this week. But, again, number seven, let me go straight through 10 again real quickly. At the top, we had Big Daddy. Number nine, we had Marty Jones. Um, did I lose you? Did I lose you uh, started to Jones. drop out number there, but you're back. Finley. Okay. Okay. And then number seven, we had um, uh, Roller Rocco. And we'll go into number six. So I'll let you introduce him, and I'll be more than glad to talk a little bit about All him.
0: All right. Robbie Brookside is number six. Um, and you were already saying that you you were running around with this guy a bit. So tell us about your, you t- know, what you know about Robbie Brookside.
1: Yeah, man, Robbie was so talented, so talented. He's only a couple years younger than myself, and uh, he had just got back from a uh, tour of Germany uh, when I was over in England. the The thing about Robbie Brookside, he was in WCW for about uh, six months while I was there. I saw him on several taping. Was always kind and courteous to him spoke to him and didn't have a whole lot of reaction other professionalism and and knew who each other was. So the very first day I get to England, um, I had heard because one of my friends, Mark Mercedes was in Germany that, and he knew Robbie and of course, Mark had been in my home and I'd helped train him way back in Tampa and been to Australia with them and this and that, uh, Robbie Brookside sent word that if he ran into Bobby Blaze, that he was going to buy Bobby Blaze a beer for kicking out of Alex Wright's finish on TV. <laughs> <laughs> he happened to be there that day in Sarasota, Florida, that I kicked out of TV or kicked out of uh, the, the finish on TV. I well say I kicked out of TV. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so um, first day on tour, uh, me and Chad Collier and Para Russo, Joe Kimball, the Russian, the Mad Russian Dog, Para Russo, we've been touring Japan together. And we had about three weeks off. And then we went and signed up for a damn tour of England together for a month. Um, and, and that was really fun. Uh, how we didn't tear each other's heads off, I don't know. <laughs> but, but you become brothers instead of enemies. You know, we travel with the same group of guys every day. You're like, you just get on a buddy system. And you yeah. start working out. You do this. You're eating the same food. You're drinking the same beer. It's just crazy. But anyway, we go to the Isle of Wight and it's about a 45-minute ferry ride over from uh, from where we caught the ferry at, and I'm sitting in the, the locker room. I'm looking out a window, and I got my back to the door. Robbie Brooks, I was scheduled, but he wasn't on our ferry, so he must have came on our next ferry, so I don't know, an hour or two went by. He walks into our locker room, and he starts talking, um, and I can't remember who he's talked to right away, but he ends up talking to um, uh, uh, Joe, and... Uh, uh, I hear him out to the door there, and uh, they mention the Armstrong name, and um, I don't even turn around. And I say, uh, "Them Armstrong boys, man, I, I never, I never did like them guys. I never did too much about them." And this, I hear him go, "What?" He says, "What?" He go, "What? What?" I never hear nothing bad about the Armstrongs. I can't do a British accent, just say it. And I turn around and I said, Robbie, he said, oh, Bobby Blaze, man. I said, before you get on me about the uh, Armstrong, I love those guys. And second of all, word is you owe me one beer. And he said, man, I'm going to buy you two. You kicked off Alex Rice finish down here in Florida when I was there. I gave him a big hug and that. That started, that's how we started becoming friends right there, you know, just off a of rib and worldwide travel of, you know, hey, I owe that guy a beer. And uh, uh, we did put some away, I'll say that. Um, and of the 30 days I was there, like I said, I had a day off here or there. I probably wrestled Robbie 10 of those times. Um, like I said, it, some of the matches, it may have just went right in after we had to the... Several towns, we did these holiday towns. Uh, they're known as holiday tours. Um, you go to a, a campsite, basically, where there's hundreds and hundreds and maybe even thousands thousand people that, that camp at these vacation places. And they all have these big rec centers and activities throughout the day and stuff. And they actually have professional wrestling around lunchtime uh, in those campsites. Um, big, nice facilities. Not a campsite like you you're thinking little Yogi Bear around a campfire. I'm talking about a big, huge building, a dining hall-type atmosphere, you know.
0: Yeah, I was. Uh, where I was where was. the
1: holidayers or uh, day trippers, day trippers go to them, you know. Um, and, anyway, I got to wrestle Robbie quite a bit. But, uh, man, he broke in at a very young age. Um, he wrestled, like it says right here, uh, uh, Pleasure Beach in Blackpool and Brian Dixon. Now, I wrestled some from Brian Dixon. Um on these holiday camps as I mentioned there and he wrestled, um, ah, shoot. Um, <coughs> excuse me, lose my place there. And he was a tag team regular with Steven Regal as the golden boys. And I'm telling you, there's some old matches on there. Uh, and it has him and Regal, both of them. So young, man. I mean, I'm talking like 16 and 18 years old, something like that. And there, you can just really see the town in him, man. And, um, uh, again, it's just one of those things. Uh, if you don't know who Robbie Brookside is, he's currently working for um, WWF, as far as I know. Um, he's a trainer for um, – he's been out there for seven years or so. Um, but he teaches the, um, at the WWE Performance Center. And um, I think he still has some recruiting he does from over in England as well. And I think he teaches the uh, the first of four-level classes they have there at the start to say the uh, Entertainment Center – um, that's what I'm looking at. Sorry. trading. center. <laughs> uh, did I say that out loud? Entertainment. <laughs> anyway, any other question about Robbie? He's a hell of a talented guy. I'll tell you that, man. No, and, I, I and think, good
0: guy. yeah, no, I think that, that, that kind of covers it. I just love hearing that. Somebody got you a beer for kicking out of that.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did. We, we bought some beer while we was there. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, I'll say that. Um, we did one of those holiday camps one day. And, uh, hell, I was doing a double shot. Me and Chad and Joe, you pick up like an extra 50 pounds or maybe 75 pounds. Um, yeah, 75 pounds maybe equal to $50. So Brian would do a daytime show, and then the other promoter had a regular town booked maybe an hour, hour and a half away. So, uh, you know, you get back in a van at 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock. You still had a couple hours to go, and you could do the evening show. But you, you because the Chad – and Joe and myself were the foreigner. We were trying to make as much money as we could. And also, they got exposure for their show. You know, working for the other promoter, bringing an American in. Not just your, you know, everyday uh, British wrestlers. And uh, so, yeah. Shoot. Some of them days. Just get in a van. <laughs> kind of like Henry Rollins. Get in a van. Yep. I'd get in a ring. I'd get in a van. Have some beer get to the next arena, fall asleep in the ring until they start letting people at the door get up, take a shower, go get your shit on a wrestle, get at night. And as soon as that night's over, it's like we're, they're bringing the, the beers, already bringing them back to the locker rooms, you know. Yeah. So um, um, I drank some good beer in England. I really did. Um, There's some good beer. I liked it. I really did. Well. Several different ones. Um, I None of them come to mind right this second. But, oh, there's um, a bunch of them, and them there's yeah. there's this
0: there's this weird concept that they drink beer warm in the U.K. Now, what they, they drink at cellar temperature, which is a hell of a lot colder than room temperature.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, Caffery. I drank one called Caffery, and it was really good. Um, at one point, you could get it in the United States. Uh, uh, I, I used to get it up east at a liquor store up east, and um, all of a sudden, it stopped, and basically what happened was... Um, I think the Coors Brewing Company was the one bringing it in, mm-hmm. and they stopped. And so it's not something you get in the States anymore. Gotcha. But it was really good. Um, that one there comes the top of my head, you know. But anyway, let's move on here. I'll let you introduce uh, number five. I already mentioned them, and, and you tell us a little bit about them, and then I'll, I'll talk some. Well,
0: you know, Bobby, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this to you real quick. We just hit an hour. Do you want to okay. split this in two, or do you want to keep going?
1: Yes, I do. i tell you what. I was hoping— Before we started this, Mm -hmm. I said to myself, I think this podcast is going to be a two-hour podcast. It's going to be that good. And I think it's been that good. I think so. Um, Okay. Well, let's do this. Uh, Called Audible. Mm -hmm. Let's stop right now. we got uh, five, four, three, two, and one to go. We've got stories with each of them. Um, We went number six, Brookside. Number seven, uh, Rollerball Rocco. Eight was Fit Finley. Nine was... um, Marty Jones and Ted was a uh, big daddy. Yep. Let's stay on course with this and let's pick up next week with number five of the greatest of the top 10 British wrestlers of all time. Fantastic. Close this out, Jeremy.
0: All right. Well, everybody, thank you for listening this week. For the late Tex Johnson, myself, Professor Jeremy Vilmer, and Arn Anderson's favorite enhancement talent, Double B, Bobby Blaze. Bye-bye, everybody. Hey, hey Bobby. Are are, are we going to see them at the matches?
1: See you at the fairs, wrestling fans. God damn you. See you at the matches, wrestling fans.